Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with AS to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. Well, welcome back to the show. It's great to have everybody listening. And I wanted to do a couple things right up front. First, I got a really great review I wanted to share with you. Came in via Podchaser. And you can find a link to Podchaser in the show notes if anybody wants to read further reviews or even great read a review and hear me read it here. But this one says, five stars, what an incredible resource. If you're newly diagnosed or have been struggling with AS for a while, you need to listen. Jason shares easy-to-understand information and conversations about the real-life things we deal with. It's super positive podcast where you feel understood and empowered. Thanks, Jason, for all you're doing in the AS community. Well, thank you to the author of that uh, review. That's what this is all about. I absolutely love it. And on a side note, thought I'd give you all an update on training of the dog. My math is not the best, and I come to find out he's going to be six months old. He's not six months old now, so Bandit is doing great. Uh, We're working on the whole issue of taking a leash from me and holding on to it for a while. He doesn't necessarily like to do it, but he's food-driven, so I've started to incorporate a few treats in it to get him to, you know, be more excited about actually the process of working. And again, I have to remember he's not quite six months old yet, so he's really doing well. He sits at the door, waits for me to go through it, and then comes out. He heals pretty good. Really, the biggest issue is he's a bed hog. He'll jump up in bed with me at night and try to push me to where he wants me at in the bed versus him settling around me. So we have a few um, challenges, so to speak, coming up in the form of who's in control at at nighttime when we go to sleep. But outside of that, he's uh, just been a fantastic dog, uh, extremely intelligent, really wants to work hard and please. So it's the first time I've ever had a Labradoodle, first time I've even ever really been around one. And they're just a fantastic dog. So with that, on to today's show. So in today's episode, I thought I would really kind of take it back to some of the basics. I'm seeing a lot of people that are newly diagnosed or have a spouse or a child with ankylosing spondylitis coming onto the forums on Facebook and asking lots of questions. This is by no means going to cover everything, but it's a really good, I think, starting point for a lot of people and a really good um, possible spot to reset for many of us that have had the disease for quite a while. So I'm going to start off with basically what is ankylosing spondylitis, or as we talked about in the last couple episodes, using the terminology axial spondyloarthritis to be more inclusive of the people that have non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis versus the radiographic. So again, listen to the prior two episodes, episodes 50 and 51, so that you get a better understanding of that terminology that's becoming much more commonplace. So again, ankylosing spondylitis we know is a form of arthritis that primarily affects your spine. It does affect many other joints besides your spine, but the spine is where they 
they start to look for the disease in the beginning and that in conjunction with your sacroiliac joints are really the two primary areas that they try to focus on. It causes severe inflammation of the vertebrae. This can cause and might eventually lead to chronic pain and disability. In advanced cases, the inflammation can cause new bone to grow along the vertebrae and, and other areas, and this can lead to deformity or what we call bamboo spine, uh, the hunched overness. Um, that's what you see if you were looking at a side view of me. Ankylosing spondylitis can also cause pain and stiffness in other parts of the bodies. Your rib cage, as we said, your vertebrae, your shoulders, your neck, your hips, of course, knees, feet. Pick a spot where there's ligaments, muscle, tendon, and you're liable to have the ability to get ankylosing spondylitis there. So what are some of the symptoms of AS? Well, they really can vary. And that's probably one of the hardest things for people that are newly diagnosed to come to grips with is they'll come on and ask, well, are you getting this or are you getting that? And they don't always like to hear that it's really kind of sometimes put back at them of saying, it depends. You might. We didn't. Some did. Some didn't. It's, that's probably one of the hardest things to come to grips with when you first get it is there's not this set criteria of you've got ankylosing spondylitis, you're going to get these two, three, five things, whatever those may be. So we do know, though, that some of these things are more prevalent than others. And the most common symptom is back pain in the morning, but some people have it at night. You may also experience pain in large joints, such as the hips and the shoulders. For me, it's always been the hips. The hips are my worst spot on me. I've had multiple hip replacements. The sacroiliac joints are all fused. So it, it's been like that since I was a young kid. That's been the source of most of my pain. But other symptoms can include early morning stiffness, poor posture, stooped shoulders, loss of appetite. This comes usually when you're in so much pain that just the thought of eating doesn't even make sense. Low-grade fever, that presents itself in, in some, especially if their inflammation is out of control. Weight loss, now, it could be the opposite of that, too, of weight gain, because if you are taken out of the ability or function to be mobile, exercise, walk around, do the stuff that tends to burn calories, you can actually have weight gain. Fatigue is very common. I've done an episode or two on fatigue, and that's just a never-ending battle, I think, for all of us with ankylosing spondylitis. Tying into the fatigue is anemia or low iron, and then finally reduced lung function, and that can be, as you're potentially having your rib cage fuse, you can see a reduce or reduction in the, the lung function that you have. That's one thing I've managed to do my whole life. My rheumatologist told me this when I was first diagnosed when I was 14. Is he said, every morning when you get up, sit on the edge of the bed and do five to ten deep breaths. You know, do it twice. So that's the one thing I've just kind of done religiously is to take those deep breaths every morning when I get up. And maybe it's helped. Maybe I was never going to get the fusing in my lung area, but I like to think that it's helped. Because ankylosing spondylitis involves inflammation, as I mentioned before, other parts of your body can be affected as well. People with AS may also experience inflammation of the bowels, mild eye inflammation. If it's not taken care of, that mild eye inflammation can become very, very bad inflammation i.e. uvitis or, or iritis, 
and I've done several episodes on that. Check out, I think it's episode 49. It's very important to keep an ophthalmologist on call if you have ankylosing spondylitis. So while ankylosing spondylitis is primarily a condition of the spine, it can impact other parts of the body too. And so it's it's just the disease that can can run rampant through you once that inflammation gets going. So what causes ankylosing spondylitis? Well, the simple answer to that is currently we don't know. It's unknown. This disorder can run in families, uh, so genetics probably play a role. If your parents or siblings have ankylosing spondylitis, research estimates you're 10 to 20 times more likely to have it than somebody with no family history. But I come from a family with no family history of it, so I was the first one. So the, the genetics are there somewhere. I don't know if they came from my mother's side or my father's side, but we have no history of anybody in the family having ankylosing spondylitis before me. So who's at risk for ankylosing spondylitis? Well, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a family history of ankylosing spondylitis, that's a risk factor, along with the presence of the HLA-B27 protein. According to a 2002 study, now this is obviously old, more than 90% of people who receive a diagnosis of this condition have the gene that expresses this protein. So again, it's, it's one of the markers that they look for. Not everybody that has AS has the HLA-B27 gene, and not everybody with the HLA-B27 protein develops AS. So it's just an item that could potentially make you more at risk. Age. Unlike other arthritic and rheumatic disorders, initial symptoms of ankylosing spondylitis often appear in younger adults. Symptoms often appear between ages of 20 and 40. Mine started when I was about 9, 10 years old, and I was diagnosed at 14. And there's quite a few people I see online that also share that early, early diagnosis. Here's one that's been controversial for many years, sex. Ankylosing spondylitis is around three times more common in males but is seen in females as well. And that's where this is dated and some of the research has changed just in the last couple of years. Remember when I discussed axial spondylar arthritis in the last episode with Mike Mallinson? Well, in that, we talked about that there's, if you have radiographic axial spondylar arthritis, you're then told you have AS, ankylosing spondylitis. If you have non-radiographic, it's left as non-radiographic, but it's still all the same symptoms, all the same pain, all the same conditions. Everything's the same. You're just not showing the fusing easily on x-rays. As was mentioned in episode 51 with Michael Mallinson, what they're starting to see come to light is that if you look at the radiographic axial spondylarthritis where it's showing on the x-rays, that's about two-thirds men and one-third women. And when you look at the non-radiographic axial spondylarthritis, that's about two-thirds women and one-third men. When you mesh them up, you still get about an even one-to-one ratio of men to women, and it's just the way the disease starts and maybe continues to stay in women. So I think watch for this over the next few years. I think this is one of the biggest things that you're going to see rewritten and rediscussed and rehashed is the amount of women that actually have it and may have been told they have a a degenerative disc disease or something of that nature, which is really not what they have. It's it's more of a function of non-radiographic axial spondylarthritis. And then finally, ethnicity. This condition is, is more common in Caucasian descendants than those of African descendants or other ethnicities. 
But when you get online, you will see all ethnicities represented. So it might be more common in Caucasians, but you'll see everybody discussing it from across all racial spectrums. So how is ankylosing spondylitis treated? Well, there's no cure for ankylosing spondylitis. Anybody tells you there's a cure for it is, is flat out wrong. There's ways to manage the pain. There's ways to prevent disability, especially with the medicines that are currently available to folks. And that's namely, you want to get proper, timely treatment to help reduce that inflammation. That inflammation is what's going to do all the damage to you. And then once you reduce that inflammation, you can possibly stop the progression of the fusing and any future damage that could come along from that and really lead a fairly normal life if you medicate and take care of yourself in the right way. Medications. Well, the main one that everybody has usually started off with is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, naproxen, things of that nature. They tend to be uh, long-acting drugs and are generally safe with few complications. I took them for a long time, Celebrex, ibuprofen, all of it, diminished my kidney capacity a little bit. So at this point, I'm no longer taking any NSAIDs, but they are the standard go-to and I was on them for 30 years. When NSAIDs no longer provide enough relief, your doctor may prescribe stronger medications. Corticosteroids are commonly prescribed for the short term. This medication is a powerful inflammatory fighter, so it can ease symptoms and slow damage to and around the spine. Then there's the tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, TNFs. These are drugs like Embril, Humira, Remicade. They can block inflammation triggers in your body. You're starting to see these recommended much quicker in the process to, again, better get control of that inflammation and bring down that inflammation and then use NSAIDs as something on top of it to help with what little pain might, you know, might remain. So the anti-TNF drugs like Embril, Humira, Remicade act to prevent inflammation and they may ease joint pain and stiffness. Surgery. If you have severe damage or deformity like knee or in hip joints, a joint replacement surgery may be uh, necessary. Likewise, an osteotomy may be performed on people with poor posture uh, that's caused by the fusing bones. During this procedure, a surgeon will go in and they'll cut the spine and and realign everything to try to straighten you back out. I've always been kind of interested in this, and I'm going to put a question out, I think, to see if any of you have ever had it. Go out to spondypodcast.com, use the contact to shoot me a message if you've ever had one of those. I'd like to know the outcome. You know, treatment relies largely on how severe the condition is and how troublesome the symptoms are. Somebody might never need anything done. Completely control it by medication. Others could be quite far advanced into just a number of surgeries to to control what they're dealing with. Here's a big one. Are there any natural treatments for ankylosing spondylitis? In addition to more traditional uh, medical treatments, Some natural remedies may help ease symptoms of ankylosing spondylitis. These treatments may be used alone. They may also be combined with other treatments. Make sure that it's very important to talk to your doctor about which of these are safe to use and if any of them are safe to use with any current medications you're on and could something be substituted. Please, please don't just take people's advice from the website. 
Don't ever stop medications that doctors have prescribed you. Always talk to your doctor about it. But some of the options for natural treatment of it are, A, exercise. We all know that. If you can walk, any movement, doesn't have to be going to the gym. Just walk across your living room. Walk you know, up and down some stairs if you have them. Anything to get the body moving is going to be beneficial to you in both the short and the long term. Stretching. Stretching is another important one. It can make the joints more flexible and help to improve your strength. And this can lead to uh, less pain and better range of motion in your joints. So if it's standing up and standing straight against a back, uh, with your back against a wall, push-ups, laying flat on the floor, laying flat on a bed face down or on your back, whichever way helps you to stretch. And if you have a spouse or a significant other that can help you move your legs, move your arms, Anything they're willing to do to help you stay flexible and stretch is going to be beneficial. Posture training. Stiffness in the spine may encourage bad posture. Over time, the bones in the spine can fuse together in a slouching or slumping position. You can reduce the risk by practicing good posture. Because this may not come naturally after years of poor posture, you may need to encourage better posture with reminders to correct your posture regularly. Somebody might have to walk along and tell you to sit up straight, sit up straight and you know get a good chair that's got a good back to it a lot of times those items that you can wear that go around each shoulder and you pull your shoulders back on your back those can sometimes be more detrimental than helpful so again any of those posture correcting devices that you wear i would highly encourage you to talk to your doctor before using something of that nature heat and cold therapy now i don't respond to cold but I do to heat. So heating pads, warm shower, those can all help to ease some of the pain and stiffness in your spine and other joints. If you respond to cold, an ice pack might help to reduce inflammation in a painful joint, a knee, a hip, anything of that nature. Acupuncture. You know, this is something I've really wanted to try. It's an alternative treatment, may help reduce pain and other symptoms of ankylosing spondylitis. It does so by activating natural pain-relieving hormones. Again, also, if, go out to spondypodcast.com and contact me if you've used acupuncture before. I'd really uh, be interested to hear about it. And then finally, I like this one, massage therapy. I love to have a massage therapist done where they really work hard on my back to get in there and push hard on my back. So in addition to being relaxing and invigorating, Massages can help you maintain flexibility and improve range of motion. Be sure to tell your massage therapist that you have ankylosing spondylitis. They can be aware uh, for the tender points around your spine. Many treatments for ankylosing spondylitis are also smart practices for a healthier life. So, you know, just make sure that you discuss all of these options with your doctor so that he or she can go over them and say which may be or may not be beneficial and how to best incorporate them into your treatment. Can diet help treat ankylosing spondylitis? Well, there's no real, you know, one-size-fits-all diet for ankylosing spondylitis. You will see the autoimmune diet plan. I That's not the exact name, but it, it's escaping me. There's no sugar, no grains. There's there's all sorts of out there, and we're all going to respond to a little bit different things. But there are some some basics to make sure to include in your diet. 
you want to try to include foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, you know, fish, nuts, and some oils. A wide variety of fruits and vegetables are good. Now, they talk about whole grains, but I, I actually, I don't tolerate the different grain things well, and I, I know I've seen other people comment that they don't, so it's really up to you and foods with active cultures as well. So things like yogurt are good uh, to a degree. Try to limit some of your dairy intake. Dairy has been shown to increase inflammation. So if you like to drink milk and things, you may want to consider cutting back on that if you can. Now cut down or eliminate foods that are, you know, rich in fat, sugars, and and salts. Uh, This includes anything highly processed, Boxed, bagged, canned foods are usually really high in uh, chemicals and and salts and preservatives uh, and trans fats, and all of those can make inflammation worse. Also, you might want to consider limiting how much alcohol you drink or avoid it if you can. I rarely have a drink anymore. I, I do like to have a nice cold beer on occasion with a Mexican dinner, but pretty much outside of that, the alcohol tends to have some interactions with my medication so I just I stay away from it and and many cases that may work best for you talk with your doctor about it can exercise help ankylosing spondylitis well the basic answer to that is yes daily exercise doesn't have to be again you don't have to go out and run a marathon you don't have to be lifting heavy weights any type of movement is good you know do some squats at your kitchen table use a chair do some leg lifts if you can, some real basic yoga, deep breathing, stretching, swimming if you have access to a pool, lake, river, wherever. Swimming is fantastic for ankylosing spondylitis. And then make sure to practice good posture. Some combination of all of those practices can really help with your overall well-being in dealing with ankylosing spondylitis. So how is ankylosing spondylitis diagnosed? Well, generally, you're going to have visited a rheumatologist, and that rheumatologist is going to have done x-rays, an MRI, done some blood work, and the first step will usually be the physical exam. They'll ask you for your details about pain and your family history. Your doctor, you know, as I mentioned, will then try to do an x-ray to check for erosion on your spine and any painful joints that you tell him or her that you have. Um, If erosion is not detected, you may be in the early stages of the disease or you may have non-radiographic. You know, sometimes this is where the diagnosis process can fall apart or become dramatically delayed. So make sure you have to be your best advocate. You really have to push the doctor to continue to explore all alternatives. Um, An MRI may also be done. But MRIs can sometimes be difficult to interpret, So, uh, but they can be done and can be helpful if the person knows what to look for. Also, a blood test, as I said, blood will be drawn, and they will look to see your inflation mark. They'll look to see your inflammation in the level of your blood. They'll also look to see if you have the protein HLA-B27. Again, having HLA-B27 doesn't mean that you have ankylosing spondylitis. It's just one of the things that they look for. So even if you don't have it, it doesn't mean that you don't have AS or are not in the process of developing AS. What are some of the complications of ankylosing spondylitis? Well, if AS is left untreated, some complications are possible, and these include 
you know, the vertebrae fusing, becoming one, that bamboo spine that we talked about due to the chronic inflammation. Inflammation can spread to nearby joints, including hips and shoulders. So I mentioned more so than me having inflammation in my spine was the inflammation that I had in my hips from a very young age. And it was left unchecked for many years because there wasn't anything to do except NSAIDs for medication. And it did a lot of damage very fast. Inflammation may spread to ligaments and tendons as well, which may make flexibility worse. You can have difficulty breathing, eye irritation, you know, and, and again, listen to the episode 49 on iritis and make sure to have an ophthalmologist on call. You can have heart, lung, or bowel damage. And then you can sometimes have compression fractures of the spine. So again, make sure that you're always not only having a doctor help you and treat you, but that you're going to doctor's appointments. That's one of the things I see people tend to mention is, you know, missing doctor's appointments. A little bit of a challenge now with this whole pandemic issue that we're dealing with and doctors canceling appointments. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just deciding not to go, forgetting, things of that nature. Well, how is ankylosing spondylitis prevented? Well, it's not known how you can prevent ankylosing spondylitis because no one knows what causes it in the first place. That's why we said there's no cure. However, if you have the disease, you can focus on preventing disabilities by staying active, eating a healthy diet, and maintaining a normal body weight. Those three things alone, just focusing on those can pay off huge dividends for you. And then what's the outlook for people with ankylosing spondylitis? Well, as we mentioned in other episodes, it is a progressive condition. This means it gets worse over time and may lead to disability. I've done an episode or two on disability. I finally pulled the trigger in October of 2017 and left work to go out on disability. Because of having bilateral hip replacement, I was approved fairly quick and was approved you know, by early 2018. Not everybody has it that easy. You'll encounter people that will tell you that they've three, four years they've been fighting to get disability. But just know that if it's something you feel strongly enough about, get an attorney, file, and, and start the process. But that's also important to make sure you're not missing appointments. There's medication, exercise, and alternative therapies, as I've discussed prior, that can help prevent and delay inflammation and damage, but they can't stop it altogether. So there's some physical therapy and exercises that you may be able to continue to incorporate, and that may help to lessen the conditions, um, but it will slowly tend to get worse. Sometimes it might be fast that it gets worse. Make sure to talk with your doctor if you've been experiencing any type of chronic back pain. They can help uh, look for a cause such as ankylosing spondylitis and then help you create a treatment plan that's specific to you and to help ease your discomfort. So overall, if you're new to ankylosing spondylitis, make sure to reach out and touch base with people that have been dealing with it for a long time. It doesn't mean, we, like myself included, that we have all the answers, but many times we're happy to talk with you help you work through any issues you might be encountering, provide uh, some background as to what we might have done if we've been dealing with it a long time. So there's a lot of really good people on the different Facebook forums that are knowledgeable and are willing and wanting to help you. Also, I'm going to say, please, if you've enjoyed this, go out to spondypodcast.com 
and follow the Podchaser link and leave a review for the show. I would really appreciate it and sign up for the uh, whenever I feel like sending it newsletter. Thanks and I hope you all have a great day.